Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. All wise and all-knowing, Father, we come before you and pray that you would help us this very hour and this in our time of need. Lord, as we seek to be able to walk in this world and seek to be able to get distracted by the wisdom of the world, Lord, let it not be so. Fill us with your Spirit that we might be able to have eyes to be able to see and ears to be able to hear. Lord, as we see this world that is around us, heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will not pass away. Let us put our faith and our trust in you, the one in which your word reveals as we seek to be able to long for Christ, that we put all our faith not in this world which is temporary, but in Christ who is eternal. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 to 28. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. And Moses said to all the elders of Israel, called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel of the door, two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses or to, to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statue for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And Aaron, so they did. The grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Heirlooms are interesting things. Most heirlooms absolutely mean nothing to anyone outside of the family. Some, some items actually do have value beyond all comprehension. Some items are, have immense value in financial terms, but generally speaking, most heirlooms only hold great value within the family from where they come from. Jewelry might hold some value, but often it's not in the millions. 
And often it's not based on the money, it comes because of the person who handed it to you. But most heirlooms, recipes, letters, diaries, Bibles, quilts, mean nothing. (laughs) They absolutely mean nothing if you go to try and sell them. The value that is connected to them is not based on the actual value which is supplied in monetary terms. The value comes because of the history, the story that is connected to it. And if the story is gone, then so too is the value. That item then ceases to be able to hold any value. The value is gone. Now as Christians, we have heirlooms. Not physical ones, but we have many stories in the Bible which point to a person in heaven, Jesus Christ, in whom we value and cherish. We are given stories of traditions that we celebrated and practiced by believers under the Old Testament that we also need to remember, that we also need to tell our children and our grandchildren about. Christians have the whole story of God's redemption that points to Christ. And one of these stories that we need to remember and recall of redemption that points to the substance of the story of the Passover, of the type and shadow of the Passover lamb, particularly that we've been studying in Exodus chapter 12. And throughout the study of Exodus chapter 12, we've noted that this event of Exodus really is minute in scale. The story about them leaving Egypt is only merely a few verses long. The story of Exodus is about how God has come down to be able to show his power and his might to Pharaoh that he might free his people, and particularly that they might remember the story of God's power and might, how he has freed his people. And here, Exodus, at this pivotal moment and point for the nation of Israel, was going to be celebrated annually, every year. In today's passage, we see Moses instruct the people of Israel to keep this service. See that in verse 25. What does Moses mean when he says to be able to keep this service? How would we define this service? Today we see that this passage speaks about the Passover as a service to be remembered and reminded of, even long after it occurs. First we see the service of sacrifice, a service of sacrifice. If we understand this aspect of Passover, then we can grasp the foundational things. But I think what we do not fully grasp is the reality of the situation. I think we use this term sacrifice very frequently. We use it in this world and we speak of it inside the church. We speak of it of people who sacrifice of their time, talents, or treasures. We think of first responders, caretakers, teachers, refugees, 
Sometimes sacrifice is used in a very serious nature for giving up an enormous amount, if not a total amount of something. Now, we'd all agree that a soldier giving up a life is a great sacrifice compared to other terms in which we speak of today. However, when sacrifice is used in the Bible, it's almost always in the total extremes. This lamb that was chosen to be a Passover lamb did not sacrifice his wool or merely a leg. This lamb that was sacrificed was sacrificed in its entirety. The blood was shed and spread upon the lintels. The flesh was uh, used and burned. The rest is, is whatever is not used is burned, and the, what is left is ashes of this lamb. The lamb was to be slaughtered. Now why do we talk about this? Blood and flesh. Because we need to really fully grasp and understand, and I think this is one thing that we don't do well, and we don't do, particularly in children's storybook Bibles, you read through the Old Testament, they often will show Abraham standing over Isaac with a knife, but they don't show the, the results of what happens to that ram. That often what we take is we take this and poetic and merely symbolic pictures of sacrifices and we put it out of our minds. And when we come to the Bible and we read about this lamb that was sacrificed, it is somewhat of a poetic, beautiful image for us. Well, what re- the reality was that the, the streets were probably lined with blood throughout the whole land of Goshen where the people of God dwelt. That here the lamb was to be slaughtered and the blood was to be shed. As the men probably prepared the lamb and sprinkled the blood on the doorposts, as Hebrews chapter 11 says, here is the vivid reality of what is happening that someone has given their life, that we might have life. Boys and girls would have seen the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. They would have seen the blood of the lamb upon their father's clothes. The hyssop branch that has been dipped in the basin and spread upon the doorposts of lentils. Why is this important? Why, Why do we get gory and speak about this? Because when we talk about the sacrifice which Christ gave, often it's sterilized, pungent to us when we think about it. We read in Ephesians chapter 5, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering a sacrifice to God. This verse should give us chills. That here, even at this 
time of year we often think and consider that Christ, the Son of God, descends from heaven hypostatically united to a baby. He puts on flesh. And He walks this earth bearing the flesh that we bear. And this is the flesh. This is the body that He sacrifices for us. His blood was spilled. The flesh that would be ripped from his body as he's whipped and beaten. And he came to earth to be able to shed his blood, not not symbolically, not poetically. His blood for our sins. And sacrifice here speaks of that total and final payment. And biblically speaking, you don't have a partial sacrifice. The lamb does not live another day. The blood of the lamb was not a small drop of blood, but one to two gallons poured out, sprinkled on the doorposts. So too with Christ. When he came to earth and sacrificed himself, he did not partially do it. He gave up his life totally, but not finally. He died on the cross shedding his blood. His blood was smeared not on doorposts and lintels, but upon a wooden cross. Christ sacrificed himself for his sheep. And every year, the people of the Old Covenant would see this shadow of Christ, this Lamb, being sacrificed. But also for us, as we follow Christ, in Christ's sacrifice. When we speak of sacrifice of us, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, as a living sacrifice, this is not merely just a partial sacrifice of one to two hours of mere prayer here or there. It's not a a small room for rent in in the crevices of our heart, but it requires all of us, the entirety, totally and finally. The love that he had showed to us is the love that we are to show our brothers as the Apostle John wrote. By this we know love, that he laid his life down for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Here, that total sacrifice which Christ speaks of is is then we are to show to others. Husbands. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, just as Christ loved his church and died for her, so too we are to love our wives. And this merely is not just a partial sacrifice in which we merely just try and help out a little. This is a total sacrifice. He also says, by the washing of his word. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, by the mercies of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Not only are we to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, husbands are to love their wives, but we are whole life 
is to be an act of spiritual worship in which we are living sacrifices. Living because the lamb has died. We are the sheep of his flock which have been spared because the shepherd has laid down his life for his sheep. But we too are to walk in this sacrifice. The second aspect of this service is as a service of substitution. The service was not merely about this sacrifice, but this sacrifice accomplished something. It's not the people of Israel sacrificed the lamb and spread the blood upon the door and the lintels, but the blood took the place of another. See this in verse 23, For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the door, blood on the lintel of the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter into your houses to strike you. We see this throughout all of chapter 12. Death is coming to every house in Egypt and in Goshen. However, the death will not be the same. The Lord will either strike or the Lord will either spare. Now notice something very important. The Lord does not go into the house to be able to see if the people are worthy or not. He does not go in and say, well, this person is worthy and this person is not. He merely passes by and sees one thing. Is there blood on the door or not? Now, this is very important for us. What is the difference between the people inside the houses in the people of Israel or the ones with blood on their doorposts and those in Egypt? Nothing. They're both wicked sinners. They both don't fulfill the law. But yet there's one thing difference, and there's a substitute. Death has already come to this house. Blood has already been spilled. As the substitute substitutes in its entirety, the blood of the Lamb is sufficient for anyone who's in that house. The only difference between the Lord striking someone or the Lord sparing someone is the blood that's on the door. The Lord has sees that death has already come. Death need not come into the house again. The Lord only passes over when there is blood of another. How wrong do we often think that he passes over our houses to others because we're just better people? Or do we think that we're not as evil as they are? Or we think because we belong to the covenant community, or we do particular things. The Lord doesn't go into the house and say, how often have you prayed? Or in today's terminology, how often has you gone to the church? Where's your giving statement? He looks only at one thing, the blood, as a substitute. People in Egypt would have spread their blood on the doorpost, and there were people of Israel that did not. And one thing is very clear, that is very clear for all the people that were involved. 
they'd be able to notice that one thing, that the lamb's blood was a substitute for us. You would have asked any young child the next day as they were leaving Egypt, why are you still alive? Why did your friend, the Egyptian, die? And their answer would never be, well, how is this nicer on the playground? I don't call them names like they do. I wasn't as mean. You asked them that one question, you would have said very clearly, there's blood on my door. That lamb died instead of me. As Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the key verse in this, as we look at chapter 12, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Your Christ shed his blood in the place of our death. He died instead of us. He died the death that we should have died, and we are to live, he lived the life that we should have lived. The Lamb was the substitute for the people of God. That is what they are to remember. The third aspect it is his service of faith. The author of Hebrews explains, By faith Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And the author of Hebrews says that here, Moses kept this through faith. Faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not yet seen, as he spells out at the beginning of that chapter. And Moses and the people had no promise from Pharaoh that this would be the final sign and wonder. He had no promise, no words of assurance, and even if they did, they wouldn't count for anything. Moses has gone back on his word countless times. But yet every single one of these Hebrew men and women, as they were born into slavery, historically speaking, there was no, one, no way to be able to stop being a slave. The only way to be able to stop being a slave was to die. No one retired after a certain number of years. There were born slaves and were slaves to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh had hardened his heart every single time. Sign and wonder after sign and wonder, Pharaoh continually hardened his heart. And yet there was an aspect where they were to put their faith and trust in God's word. To be able to trust that this was the final plague. And this would be the final blow. They had every reason to be able to say to Moses, this is never going to happen. Surely this lamb could be used for better things. How can we just go back? Can't we just go back to making bricks without straw? That every and many reasons from the outside to be filled with doubt and disbelief. But this is not their response. We see in verses 27 and 28, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. We see the exact same response in chapter 4, 
In verse 31, and the people believed and they, when they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads and worshipped. That here the Israelites still worshipped the Lord even though they were not yet saved. They were still slaves. They did and carried out everything that the prophet Moses had told them to do. They killed the lambs as slaves. They spread the blood as slaves. They ate the Passover as slaves. Yet they woke up as free men and women. All they had up to this point was Moses and Aaron, the word from God. And they did all this and carried it all out through faith. For them, the faith was the assurance that God would save them from death and their conviction that the blood would deliver them from Pharaoh's grip. They ate this lamb in faith. For what was promised was not yet seen. So too for believers today. We eat the elements of the Lord's Supper through faith. Jesus tells in Luke chapter 22, For I tell you that I will not eat of this until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Here Jesus says that we're going to celebrate this meal with Christ one day. That reality has not yet come. It's a meal of faith in which we, who are true believers, Dine with Christ through faith. We do not grasp the final freedom from our slavery yet. Though we have been saved through the blood of the Lamb and the Lamb's flesh. But we're just not yet in the promised land. In both instances, whether the Israelites awaiting deliverance from the bondage of Egypt or for the believers partaking of the Lord's Supper of faith, becomes the bridge between the promise and the fulfillment. The Israelites trusted in the unseen, acting on God's word, and witnessed the miraculous transition from slavery to freedom. Similarly, as believers, we partake of the symbolic elements of the Lord's Supper, anticipating the complete fulfillment of God's promises in coming, His coming kingdom. Our faith is not then anchored to what is visible, but what that assured hope that just as Christ had proclaimed, the ultimate fulfillment awaits. Is that communion of faith where we dine with Christ, celebrating the salvation accomplished and anticipating the full realization of our promised inheritance. One final thing about this service that we must note. It's a service of the family. Finally, we see this Passover service as one where the whole family was to be involved. We noticed this when we saw the sign and wonder of the locusts in chapter 10. And Pharaoh had said that the men could go and worship God in the wilderness, but not the children. The children, particularly the sons, were to stay. However, this was not acceptable or agreeable to God. The little ones were to know who the Lord is. They were to go and serve the Lord. 
They were also to grow in the Lord. And we see this principle again as they come to this service of Passover, not only the first Passover, but every Passover that follows. That when they were to come into the land the Lord was giving them, Moses explains in verses 25 to 27, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he has passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptian, but spared our houses. One of the purposes of this annual feast was to remind the people of God, young and old, what God had done. In the Passover meal, the children would play a large part in asking these series of questions, beginning with the question, why is tonight different from any other night? The parents would, were to teach and, and to instruct their children of who God is, how he provided for them, how he saved and delivered them, how he defeated the enemy and set them apart for, to worship God alone. They were to tell their children that God, through his grace and his mercy, spared their houses. Again, not because of what they had done, but because of the blood of the Lamb that was shed. There's no way around it, particularly parents. You are teachers and examples to your children. You cannot outsource this job to anyone. You are the ones who need to instruct and teach your children in the way of the Lord. You are the ones who need to teach when you're walking, sitting, driving all throughout their whole life. I do not seek to be able to get political, but many of us might be upset about them taking the Bible out of school. Now, there's discussions that we can have about this. I think the problem is not so much that we took the Bible out of school, we took the Bible out of the home. And it might not be that the Bible is taken out of the home. The Bible still is in the home, it just never gets opened, never gets read, never gets studied. The problem is not particularly what others teach our children, although that might be an issue. The problem is that when we think others will teach our children for us. We think that all of that's handed over, all of that's outsourced. And there's two main reasons and ways in which the church grows. The covenant community grows and develops, and that's through proselytization and procreation. Both are the exact same work. Both require the Word of God to be taught and preached and proclaimed, that the Spirit might work in the hearer, that they might be able to respond to the gospel call. To the outsider, it's all of us to be able to go and proclaim the gospel. But the insider, those in the covenant community, the first response is for those who are parents. And then we all together corporately and collectively pray for our children. 
teach our children. Both should be doused in prayer, the outsider, the insider, soaked in the word, declared from the heart. Both need the same response of the Spirit working inside their heart to be able to draw them unto Christ. The exact same way. And so, too, at the Passover, it was not merely just a remembrance for the grown-ups or to remember for the children that this is how God works. You imagine that little child, little Timmy, maybe just two months old, unable to be able to do anything. He's the firstborn, and the parents hear of this. But yet, when they're wandering in the wilderness, little Timmy, you're here today. Because a lamb was sacrificed. Actually, a lamb was sacrificed because of a substitute for you. That we, through faith, put our faith in what God had proclaimed to us. Little Timmy, know that God saves, he delivers. And as little Timmy grows up and he shares his Passover service with his children, he's able to say to his children and his great-grandchildren what God had done for them. And the Passover transcends more than merely just tradition. It's a divine service, unveiling the core tenets of the gospel, fully revealed in the substance of Christ and his incarnation, in the sacrifice, in the substitution, pointing to the Messiah to come. And now Christ, our Passover lamb, who was sacrificed for us, substituted for us, in which we receive him through faith and then pass this on to our children. Shed his blood for us. Celebration is not through symbols of doorposts, but through sincerity and truth, worshiping God in spirit and truth. The shadow had finally become the substance and the legacy of faith is to be passed on to the family of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise for passages like this that point as a shadow and a type unto the substance of Christ. Lord, let us seek to be able to carry on this service not with the blood of bulls and goats, but as we think of that, once for all sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God through Jesus Christ, the one who died in our stead, the one in whom we receive through faith, the one in which we share and declare to outsiders and also the children among us. We pray, Lord, that we would seek to be able to know Christ Put our faith and our trust in Him and Him alone. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m for his glory and his gospel.